It is 1838, and upon Visborg comes a great plague. Death is all around, killing the inhabitants of the city. How the plague started is a mystery to most, but not I. It all started, or seemed to start, when I returned from the Carpathian Mountains after making a deal with a mysterious Count Orlok. A strange fellow, he had a ghoulish appearance. At the inn I stayed in before I met with him, the locals gave me a book to read. It was all about phantoms and vampires. It mentioned the vampire Nosferatu. That name still sends my blood running cold. <sighs> At first, I mean, I laughed. It was 1838, not the 1500s. This was all supernatural hogwash. Right? But quickly I learnt that the shadow of the vampire was waiting, and I just sold him a home. I crossed that bridge, and a phantom came to meet me. That is how I, Thomas Hutter, brought Nosferatu, the Great Plague, to Visborg. I want to hear you scream. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Whatever you do, don't fall everyone, this is Podcast of the Dead, the podcast about all things horror-related. We're your hosts, I'm Zach Palmer, sitting next to me is Isaac Wright. Hello. And joining us perpetually via video conference from England is Chrissy Beetle. Alright, lads. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, before we get into it, we want to talk about a few things first. Of course, uh, we're on a new hosting platform now. Uh, SoundCloud was uh, kind of restrictive as far as how much material we could put on there. We could only fit two episodes at a time on there, which sucks. Uh, so we switched to Pinecast as our hosting uh, network, and then we shared our feed to a couple of other sites. So now you can get us on Google Play, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and we're still waiting on iTunes to uh, verify our submission, but that'll be probably available pretty soon. So you can get it on all come those... Come on, iTunes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on, iTunes. You know you want us. You know you need us. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, we're waiting on that still. But it it shouldn't be rejected for any reason. We don't share a name with any of the podcasts on iTunes, so I, I'm sure it'll be fine. Also, real quick, I do want to dedicate this episode to my late cat Jade, who passed away earlier this week. Uh, she uh, died from complications due to uh, her kidney issue. She had a chronic kidney issue that she was living with for a long time, and she uh, unfortunately succumbed to it. But uh, she's in a better place now. And she was such a good kitty. She was very she good. She was a good oh, girl. Oh, I love that kitty. Yeah. I, I did enjoy meeting Jade when I visited. <laughs> Jade was great. Yeah, she's great. Loves plastic bags. Oh, For whatever reason, loved, loved plastic bags. Loved plastic bags. <laughs> anyway, but that's, uh, that's, um, episode is going to be dedicated to her. So, anyway. Hope you like vampires, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week we're talking about Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. Uh, which is a uh, very historic and very important film in horror. But first, of course, we're going to talk about horror news. 
of which there is some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is news time. Uh, yeah, well, uh, just to let you all know, uh, this episode is going to have a lot of information in it, so we're not going to do too much news today, not that there really is any, uh, but yeah. It's kind of dry on the horror news side. Yeah, it's a little dry in the news. It's slow yeah, news day. Yeah. Sarah Michelle Geller uh, is going to be in a new psychological thriller series called Sometimes I Lie. Uh, there's not a whole lot of information on it, but it is going, it's in- interesting that she's coming back uh, to the horror absolutely. stuff for sure. Oh, uh, dude, we she know it now. aged. <laughs> That's no, scary. That is interesting for sure. I, I do like that you say that she is a vampire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the best cover to yeah. be a vam- a fake vampire slayer, <laughs> but you're actually a vampire. I think it's great cover. Do we know what uh, what network or service the show's going to be on? I am looking at it right now. Should have had it already pulled yeah. up. <laughs> Maybe so. I, I remember looking at the article, but I don't remember what it was, so... We're, we're professionals. Yeah, we, 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 we've done this for years. Done this for 47 <laughs> years. <laughs> Doesn't say. Yeah, I, well, I think it's, it's going to be on BBC, actually. Oh, um, sure. Okay. Ooh. It probably won't come out over here. <laughs> probably it's, not. Something BBC makes won't come out in Britain? That doesn't make any sense. Um... They do a lot of America-centric shows for BBC America that don't show over here. Oh, I forgot BBC America exists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, where, uh, that's what Little Britain USA was on, right? Little Britain USA. Oh, gross. I don't even, <laughs> yeah. even want to know what it is. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, the other thing, the thing that I was excited about until y'all said mobile game was that there's a new alien game coming out, but then you said mobile game. But yeah. what is it? <laughs> Uh, Unfortunately, it's a mobile game, which is really lame. What what, what is it though? Is it going to be like a isolation type thing, or what kind of game is it? Do we know? Chrissy, it's, you know, right? Oh, it's that one that they were teasing on the other day with Amanda Ripley. Okay, right. So, so is it like a, a space simulation, like a kind of a, a faster than light thing, where or like an FTL thing, where it's like a ship maintenance thing, and you just have to stay away from the alien? via, you know, keeping up with the room maintenance, or is it like, you know, you're actually first person playing as Amanda Ripley again, do we know? I'm stoked for anything alien related, but even if it is a mobile game. Well, everyone seems to be annoyed at it, that's the, uh... <laughs> it's called Alien Blackout, and everyone is annoyed okay. at it. <laughs> okay, jeez, well... It I- is It is going to be a sequel to Isolation, though. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yes. Alright, well then, I'm, I'm sufficiently stoked no matter if it's good or bad, because I love that character and I love that game. So, I am about it. Yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, it's also a, like a survival horror game. Fucking sweet. Yeah, yeah I don't think it's going to be first person, because it's a little hard to do on a mobile game, I guess, but... Oh, yeah. they, could, they could do it as one of those uh, enhanced reality games, like Pokemon Go. Where Possibly. like it takes your surroundings and <laughs> then just like go. oh yeah, or, or it's like an alien <laughs> into the corner of every room that you're in, and you have to evade it by running into every light fixture oh you have and every like <laughs> standing table. Kind of, it's kind of a good idea. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> better than idea. all they're making. I would, yeah, no, I, I I'd play it. Yeah, I'd run into every surface I'd, in my house trying to get away from the alien. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, there's to. Kind of concurrently with that, uh, they're making an alien documentary, a new alien documentary, right? Yes, to mark the 40th anniversary of Alien. Is it about uh, the director... of Ridley Scott. Yeah, director... No, no, it's um, not Ridley Scott doing it, but director Alexandre... Oh, I thought you were saying... 
Yeah. I thought you were saying the director of Alien. No. <laughs> the director of this documentary is um, going to be a guy called Alexandre O'Philippe, and it's called Whatever. Memory, Origins of Alien. Awesome. Huh. I'm really stoked. There's not really much it. about it. There wasn't really, really much information, so... So we're all just in speculation mode well, now. I think. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to just see some of the behind the scenes stuff on how they came up with like the sets and everything like that. Because like the alien sets are just such like an like a unique version of the future. You know, that's probably my favorite thing about the whole movie is just the aesthetic. Well, if stuff. you watched a lot of the quadrilogy stuff or any of the Blu-ray box sets, they have a lot of that. Do they really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. uh, they talk about that a lot, and they talk about how HR HR Gear created mm, all the stuff yeah. that relates to the alien, and then I forgot the guy's name who did the uh, all the art for like the human related stuff and the spaceship stuff and all that stuff but it was two different artists that created each kind of part mm -hmm. and then they kind of married them together that's really cool yeah, yeah I, I guess i need to go back and watch some of those because we have the blu-rays and everything so i guess i can watch those on my own time but anytime they come out with a documentary you know is it's always going to include some interesting tidbits that aren't available other places it's always new footage yeah yeah speaking so of blu-rays i'm excited scream factory who a bit like Arrow, or one of the bigger horror distributors, mm. are releasing like <laughs> a Karloff Lugosi Blu-ray set, yeah. and it's oh, yeah. of four films that they were in, that they were both in together. Okay. They, oh, okay. And they are Black Cat, The Raven, The Invisible Ray, and Black Friday. Ooh, okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have a out. release date yet, but the cover oh, art. <laughs> <laughs> I love Black Cat. Black Cat's mm, a great movie. Yeah. The, uh, the cover art is gorgeous. I bet it is. It's relating to all that stuff. It's it's probably yeah, really well done. I'm sure. Um, uh, there's not a whole lot of news today. <laughs> yeah, we did right before we started. We did watch a trailer for this movie called Hole in the Ground. That movie looks really, really good, and I don't know what it's about yet exactly from the trailer, but it looks great, and I'm excited. It looks like, okay, so it looks like this uh, mother and her son, the son goes out to the woods and there's this big hole, he disappears, but then comes back later and uh, it's not him. Yeah. It's a doppelganger, or at mm. least like a replacement, like a supernatural replacement, and he's like evil now. Yeah. Uh, and but I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll talk about it when it comes out, but that is a thing in folklore. There is like some sort of mysterious like forest demon or something like that that will spirit a child away and then come back as an imitation of it, mm -hmm. but it's not the child. I can't remember the name of it. We just watched it right before we started recording, so I didn't have time to research it, but we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you. I'm sure somebody will <laughs> yeah. tell us. Yeah. Somebody will either tell us or we'll eventually look it up. Yeah. Right. You fucking idiot. I mean, because Lynch, Lynch took that whole idea for Twin Peaks. <laughs> true. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, that's true. Oh, uh, one of the things that we were trying to figure out this episode that was from last episode was whether uh, uh, the mother from of the sorority house in Black Christmas was drinking sherry or oh. rum. <laughs> did we ever figure that out? No, I did okay. not. No, I, I think I... I never revisited it. I, I, I know that, that she mostly drinks sherry. <laughs> I know that most I, of the bottles are sherry. I'm still going to contend that the one that she had in the toilet was Captain Morgan. I, I know that I drank beer in the movie when I watched it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Isaac. Okay. <laughs> uh, also, we agreed that it was T100, was Schwarzenegger's uh, 
uh, version of the Terminator. Okay. It's actually T eight hundred. Oh, okay. Thank so, you for thank you for. I like that this is like an NPR style correction that we had to make. We are making this is the correction section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But uh, but honestly, yeah, that's all we have for news. We don't really have much else. Oh, there's that Final Destination sequel reboot coming, but there's nothing more on that other than it's being done by the dudes who wrote the last Saw films. I'm just going to be honest right now, I don't care. (laughs) I like Final Destination, I'm not going to fight anyone on it, though. (laughs) I really don't care enough to see, like, another one. I liked Uh, three. That was it. (laughs) I liked the soundtrack in all of them because it's banging early 2000s awesomeness. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, give me more stain. What's the Smash Mouth? Yeah, yeah. Smash Mouth mixed with a little bit of stain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we might be light on news, but we're heavy on content. Yeah, this yeah. Week, so. this, this episode's real thick, y'all. Yeah. There's so much. <laughs> It's so thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. T-H-I-C-C. This is the thickest bowl of uh, vampire oatmeal you'll ever consume. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, so we're going to move on to that right All now. Right. Yeah. Podcast of the Dead. This week we're talking about a very important and historic horror film in the realm of horror films, Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. And Chrissy, you said this is your favorite horror film, right? Yes, this is like one of my favorite films of all time. It's a pretty I great film. I adore this film. Yeah. There are a lot of layers to it. I mean, there were a lot more layers to it than I knew about going in, because I had never seen it before we watched it. And when we watched it, I was like, damn, this is a good movie. But then the the rabbit hole just kept going. There is so (laughs) much to discuss about this film. Because because of the nature of this film, and because of how old it is, and how much historic significance it has, we have to kind of backtrack a little bit and then come back to it. Because there's a lot of stuff that we have to cover for you to kind of get context Mm -hmm. of it. So... I, I apologize in advance if it kind of sounds like a history lesson or a book report to begin with, <laughs> but trust me, this stuff is really interesting, and I am not into history stuff. I'm not, I don't want to write a book report, but I was interested by this stuff, so if I'm interested by it, I'm sure you can find Someone the out there will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can be interested in it as well. So, uh, first we're going to start with uh, Dracula. Because Nosferatu is the first ever film adaption of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, and yes. So we have to talk about Dracula a little bit before we get into it. Because Dracula is probably the most important piece of vampire literature ever made. And uh, when did you say it was written? It was written in 1897. Okay, and then, but you said there, there had been other vampire stuff before that. Yeah, so there was uh, uh, there was stuff even earlier in that century that was pretty influential on vampire stories. There was uh, uh, Polidori wrote a, a story just called The Vampire, Vampire with a Y, uh, which was mm. pretty important. It was one of a, a very early piece of vampire literature. It inspired a lot of Penny Dreadfuls. Okay. Uh, yeah. And Penny Dreadfuls were just like those. Yeah, yeah, those it was like pulp like, novels of that era. Exactly. Yeah, yeah the serials of the era. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carmilla was a really important one that was released, I believe. In the 1870s, it was about a lesbian vampire, uh, but of course they weren't. Good old Carmela. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't quite uh, enlightened at the time, and of course homosexuality was considered a uh, undesirable Negative trait. trait. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Uh, so of course, when you got when you got the women who are loving women, vampires. Vampire vampires come running, yeah. The, the gays are vampires. <laughs> Did you not know that? Yeah, yeah. But of course, vampires. Our out. Yeah, of course, vampire stories uh, originate even way before this. I mean, there was a vampire craze uh, in England in like the 1720s and oh, 1730s, yeah. uh, and there. were... Uh, I mean, vampire stories go all the way back to Romanian folklore, so the story of vampires is over a thousand years old. Mm -hmm. It's something that is ancient at yeah. this point. It's it's so ingrained in our culture as far as like what the vampire is. But even saying that and even knowing the history of vampire stories, Dracula, as you can tell, came kind of late uh, as far as vampire lore is considered, but it introduced so many tropes that we now know as as modern vampire tropes. Uh, it introduced mm. an aversion to garlic, uh, not being able to see a vampire's reflection in a mirror, them sleeping in a coffin, a weakness to sunlight, uh, a kinship with rats and wolves and that kind of thing. These are all things that Dracula introduced. It introduced the uh, the character of Dr. Van Helsing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. mm. it, 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 yeah. it introduced the sisters or like, uh, you know... The brides. The brides of, of Dracula. There's... It, it introduced all of these things that we now know as common vampire and tropes. And it's crazy, doesn't it? In, it, in, it introduced the idea of a human slave. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. a big one too. But I, I just thought it was interesting that the Dracula's not a long book, you know what I mean? It's one of those kind of like, it's a, it's a shorter novel. Like, it's not the longest book out there, but yet it jam-packs all these things into yes. it. And I find that really fascinating. It's kind of like the Hobbit. And even, yeah. and even then, it doesn't have that much vampire stuff in it. You know, it's right. mostly about, like, the ideas of, like, Victorian English culture and, like, the 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 difference between the houses, almost. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah sure. And the location. And, uh... There are a lot of historians that talk about the inspiration for Dracula. One of the common myths, I think, about it is that uh, Dracula was inspired by Vlad the Impaler. And that's what I thought. That, that, that was my understanding right. before I was talking to you about it. In, in just a little bit of context about Vlad the Impaler, he was the uh, ruler of Wallachia uh, back in the uh, 1450s to the 1470s, which Wallachia is kind of in the region of, of modern-day Romania. Mm. Uh, he was, of course, famous for impaling people. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, political dissidents, rivals, people he just fit uh, were unfit for life, that kind of thing. And of course, his enemies, he impaled uh, around a hundred thousand people. Wow, that many! Yes, wow. Yeah, he's kind of on the same like kill level as like Mary the First. Damn, yeah, that's because Mary the First had a lot of people killed. Yeah, that's Bloody Mary, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this, you know, he was a bad guy. Uh, <laughs> He's a bad dude. He was a bad dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In, uh, in, in before someone brings Stalin into it or Mao. But uh, Stalin killed all these Can we get away from communism for a second? I feel like I'm surrounded by it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but Dracula killed all these people. <laughs> um, yeah, but Vlad the Impaler, there was a lot of rumors that he drank blood, but there is no, like, outright evidence, of course, about about it, uh, but there is no actual evidence that Bram Stoker took any sort of inspiration from Vlad the Impaler other than his other name, which was Dracula. Uh, Vlad the Impaler was the son of Vlad Dracul, Vlad II, and because he was the son of Vlad Dracul, his other name was Dracula. And he said that's the Romanian, that's yeah. a, the Romanian language. It's yeah. literally just saying he's Vlad the Third. Mm, yeah. Yeah. More than likely, uh, 
the character of Dracula was inspired by, uh, I forget, forgot what his name is, but one of the actors that Bram Stoker worked in, because uh, Bram, uh, Bram Stoker worked in a playhouse, and he worked, uh, I think he worked as like a rigging, uh, like with the, oh, wow. like that kind of thing, or, or maybe he was... A playwright, I don't know, or maybe he helped with. Yeah, the, but he worked uh, in the theater. It, it, it was he, long. He was it, a it was England, man. right? Yeah, he was a he was a man of the theater. Yeah, it, uh, and you did say it was in England, correct? That's where Bram Stoker was from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and theater has always been a big thing there, so that that makes sense. Yeah, but uh, one of the actors that he worked with was like uh, overbearing and domineering and that kind of thing. And that apparently is one of the big inspirations for Dracula, is huh. as, as far as like personality wise, yeah. because I mean you can kind of see that in the way that he characterizes Dracula, like when you read the book, mm. it's, I mean, yeah. it's That's how vampires definitely. are supposed to be, is a little overbearing and a little controlling, manipulative, just yeah. in subtle ways. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. So more sense. than likely, that was the actual inspiration for Dracula. He's just a uh, domineering lad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there, we'll probably do an episode on Dracula, just the book itself, and kind of get even deeper into this sort of stuff. But we kind of wanted to touch all of this so you know... Uh, the context of what we're about to talk about, because Dracula yeah. was so important to vampire literature and the vampire story in general. And then uh, Nosferatu ended up inspiring its own, like, mythos. Yeah. Yeah. So Nosferatu, there's a lot of reasons why it's called Nosferatu and why there's changes to the story of Nosferatu. And I don't want to get too deep into the story of Dracula, because there's a lot of stuff in Dracula that happens... Uh, but the basic story is that uh, Dracula is living in Transylvania. He has a solicitor named Jonathan Harker that comes to him and sells him land in London. Uh, he comes to London on a boat. He kills everybody on the boat. Uh, <laughs> and he starts kind of ca causing havoc. He, uh, it, he uh, makes a woman into a vampire. And then he makes uh, Jonathan Harker's uh, fiance Mina, into uh, basically a slave, more yeah, or less. It's like a zombie slave yeah. vampire lord. And uh, while this is happening, there is a, uh, a band of vampire hunters that are hunting him down and trying to kill him, uh, led by Dr. Van Helsing. Mm. And then they end up killing him in the end. Uh, but it's I don't want to get too deep into it because there's so much stuff we can talk about with that because it's there's so much stuff that happens in that book. But that's the basic plot you need to know going into Nosferatu because there are obviously some key changes that are made there. Yeah, so quite a few changes, because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they had to. Yeah, yeah so uh, we'll get into it uh, a little bit later, but there was a lawsuit that was enacted uh, because of this adaption, because it was an unauthorized adaption of Dracula. The Stoker estate was not happy. Yeah. No, they, they were very much not. <laughs> they were incensed. In fact, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Florence Stoker, who was Bram Stoker's widow, uh, they the production crew of Nosferatu, uh, led by F. W. Murnau, uh, basically asked her, "Can we make this film adaption of Dracula?" And she was like, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard no for me. Murnau yeah. <laughs> was just like, "Well, I'll just read it. I'll just rename it. Fuck you." <laughs> yeah, he he responded to that by making a, a lot of changes. Uh, of course, Dracula is set in 1897 London. Uh, mm. He changed that to 1838 Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, he changed uh, the the names of all the characters. Count uh, Dracula became Count Orlock. 
uh, vampire became Nosferatu, uh, although Nosferatu is kind of a specific vampire. Uh, yeah. And then, and then a lot of, uh, there's no story with Lucy, who is uh, Mina's uh, good friend. Mina is the fiance of Jonathan uh, Jonathan Harker yeah, and I, Dracula. I feel like Nosferatu must have cut out a lot of the subplots yeah. of the book. Nosfer- that, that, it did. It, yeah. cut, it focused yeah. more on the, the relationship between Harker, who's changed to Hutter. It mm-hmm. focuses more on Hutter and his journey and what happens in right. the castle with Orlok. Yeah. Yeah, because in Dracula, Jonathan Harker's story is only, like, the very first part of Dracula. Like, that's, like, the the kind of beginning, and then it, like, it evolves into other people's stories. Because Dracula is kind of told in an anecdotal format, mm. or at least in, in the sense that it's told through diary entries, it's told through, like, newspaper oh, uh, stuff. Cool. And, like, yeah. it's not told directly, it's told, like, like third-handed. That's like, really cool. I love, yeah. I love when stories, especially horror stories, make it seem like all of the information you're reading has been compiled from multiple sources. You know what I mean? Like... Someone had to dig for all of this, and it's like kind of mysterious that way that they didn't have all this stuff on hand, mm. and it's just not one person writing it. That's always a really interesting way to structure any kind of story, especially a horror story, though. Yeah, but they uh, obviously they had to change some things because uh, it was an unauthorized adaption. Right. Uh, it, to I do want to say just offhandedly that Bram Stoker was not a rich man when he died. No, he was he not was really. Not. He was he died almost a pauper yeah. actually because he uh, Dracula was his most successful novel but even at the time Dracula was not a big hit mm-hmm. it was yeah. it considered kind of a fun adventure film it wasn't considered a gothic horror masterpiece as we know right. it now no it, it wasn't it found critical it, acclaim later and like later like right. years after his death right exactly. that's how so much of that stuff goes I mm-hmm. feel like I feel like I remember hearing that Mary Shelley was pretty successful. Like after Frankenstein, I yeah, feel like she, was. she did well. Yeah, she yeah. did well, but she's kind of like the exception to the rule. Most of the time, these things are written. I think it's because she also had the backing of the fact that she was married to Percy Shelley. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, so she made it, but a lot of these other horror writers that you know their stories today, but you don't know them... Yeah, they kind of died in obscurity, unfortunately, even though, like, their stuff lives on. And that's one of those sad things that just happens with a lot of different literature, you know? Yeah, yeah most definitely. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. So they had to change things, of course, for Nosferatu. Uh, so let's let's also kind of talk about the context that uh, Nosferatu came out of. So oh, yeah. it, it's you know, so it's not just that it was an adaption of Dracula; it's also the time period that it was created in. So Nosferatu was released in 1922, and this is kind of on the tail end of an art movement in Europe called the Expressionist Movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and specifically, German Expressionism is very interesting because a lot of it had to do with filmmaking. Mm. Uh, a lot of uh, other Expressionism in, in Europe was very visual art-based. It was very painting-based, and you can kind of see a lot of uh, a lot of the different types of things. Like The Scream, do you know the painting The Scream? Mm-hmm. That yeah. came out of the European Expressionist Did it really? Movement. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. And Expressionism was is defined... Uh, it's kind of hard to define sometimes, but it's defined as basically enveloping the world in pure emotion. It's mm. not really surrealist in a sense. It's it's like it's not a real world, but it's more of a world made of emotion. And you got yeah, to think that, of it in this way: it's post World War One defeat for Germany as well. So it's mm-hmm. the expressionist movement came out of the people who were 
like completely you know they, they all had shell quite a few of them had shell shock and stuff like that yeah, so they right. had fought so it came out of like a war context yeah, see, I didn't know, I guess, yeah, 20 to, 20s is post-World War One. so yeah, if we're talking about German-era art, yeah, that is from a populace that is just devastated. Right. Because that, like, the entire reason World War II happened is because they were so devastated. So it's interesting, I, I didn't, like, consider the fact that, like, that, that was kind of the influence for a lot of the art at that time. Mm. And, and that's really interesting. Yeah, and there was an explosion of filmmaking in Germany at this time because... Uh, all foreign films were banned at this really? time. Really? Yeah. yeah. So all oh of the film, films were banned. Yeah. All the films that were coming out of Germany at the time were from Germany. Huh. They were made in Germany, and it was very in influenced by that expressionist movement. There's a lot of famous films that came from this era that we know of. It's uh, you know Doctor uh, the the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, Metropolis, Fritz mm, Lang's yeah. masterpiece, uh, uh, The Golem. I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen the Golem. Uh, I know uh, yeah, the, the Golem is, which, yeah. Um, Greta Schroeder, who's in this, who plays Ellen, which is Mina, she was in the Golem. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, another, one of my favorite expressionist films that also came from this era, that also came from FW Now, is Phantom. Have you ever seen Phantom? Before? I have not. A Phantom, yeah. Phantom is fantastic. But is it also a silent film? Yeah, yeah, it's oh, also wow, okay. it's also an expressionist film. There's okay. a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's going on, but basically a lot of like the visual pieces in expressionist films, uh, you can see this definitely in Metropolis in the the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. There's a lot of like oh, angular, yeah. like disjointed type things. Like the world is not real. It's very mm. obvious it's not real. Yeah. Uh, but it's like that kind of thing where it's you're trying to create an emotion with every frame. Right. Uh, that's it. I think Murnau saw The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari because that came out just before Nosferatu did, like before filming started. And I think he saw that idea and was like, I want to do sort of real world sets. That's why there's a lot of um, countryside shots. Yeah. The, yeah, the sets, everything in Nosferatu looks perfect. Like yeah. all the sets and like the, the ship and the design and just it just puts you there. It's so good. Yeah, there. Yeah, uh, Nosferatu took more of like a subdued, subtle way of expressionist uh, mm. art because it a lot of the like because a lot of things in expressionist films were like exaggerated. Like, yeah, a little a over the top. Nothing mm. in Nosferatu is over the top. It's very subtle until it is until except it's really, not. <laughs> except really the facial expressions. Yeah, exactly. Right, the facial expressions are over the top. A lot of the emotional uh, portraying is over the top. Count Orlock's features are really exaggerated. They're great. Like I think <laughs> I think that's an important thing. Like he he himself is very exaggerated, mm. but the rest of the film is more understated than a lot of the stuff that was coming out at the time, yeah. I guess. And that kind of it that yeah. gives it like that perfect atmosphere. Yeah, it does. You know what I mean? Uh, and there is a lot of nature shots in Nosferatu mm -hmm. too, and that's that's one of the things that a lot of scholars, film scholars, and a lot of critics talk about is that it's uh, the the juxtaposition of nature shots with the horror that's happening in between is kind of what defines that film. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, audiences were like the audiences who did get to see it before. <laughs> yeah. Things happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, as I said, we'll get into. Like, audiences were genuinely terrified because they were like, the, in that sense of what we said last week with Black Christmas, they were thinking, this could happen, this could be real. Right. Yeah. Because with those other sort of expressionist movement films, everything seemed a bit detached from reality. Right. 
Whereas with Nosferatu, because they had those countryside shots and it seemed so real, they were like, oh, oh God, my neighbor's a vampire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, like, can you imagine living back then? And, and if you're only exposed to German media, you know what I mean? If you're only exposed to media from one, from one source or culture, and then you see this, and you're like, oh shit, is everyone just a vampire next door now? Like, fucking... I don't know. It's a very interesting, uh, like, headspace to be in after seeing this film. You know? Yeah. I know my next door neighbor can't be a vampire. It's that, <laughs> that cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Are we really bringing it back to that? Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, <clears throat> another one. Uh, another thing I want to talk about with Nosferatu, at least in like the visual part of it, is that it's important to know that the film was not shot in color but it was tinted in color for its release yes uh, it had yeah. a sepia tint yeah it, it there's a yeah there's tints there's different tints to kind of denote what time of day it is because uh you know it was shot during the day because a lot you know cameras back in that in that time period couldn't really do night shots yeah i mean even now it would have relied on too much light even now i mean any photography Mm. requires light i mean that's just the the nature of the business so i mean you need light and i mean good cameras yeah you can get good night shots now but back then would have been the business (laughs) sorry i wanted to reference uh (laughs) i mean the light the lights that they had as well on those sets were like massive huge Oh yeah, I bet right. they were. Yeah, shining brighter than a thousand suns level. <laughs> right, and, and that was just to do regular shots. Yeah. You know, that wasn't to do exa- like these cameras needed a lot of light, so a lot of it was shot during the day, of course, and they used color to denote the time of day. Mm. But at the same time, it's not just the time of day; it's also kind of the emotion, mm-hmm. yeah. because a lot of the most horrific things happen at night in this movie. Yeah, and I, and everything's an in. I mean, I, this kind of walking back a little bit, but everything's like an indoor shot. But they use the tents for a lot of indoor shots too, mm. when there's no reason to have a time of day. You know what I mean? So they're doing it to like instill some type of emotion in you, Correct. to give you like a feeling, as opposed to just because it's nighttime now. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, and, and I think this is all, it's all artistry uh, done by F.W. Yeah, high yeah, artistry, he, you know what um, I mean? The, according to the accounts of the cast and crew, Monan was very, very particular about what he wanted and what vision, which mm. is touched a lot upon in Shadow of the Vampire, which we are going to talk about, which is a 2000s reimagining of how it could have been shot and the story behind the shooting of it. Right. Like, even, even because there was one rumor, there was a rumor that Max Shrek was a real vampire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the writers of that film decided to take that and make it reality, which is really fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, you can see like FW, FW, I'm just calling him FW. Uh, <laughs> you can see a lot FW. of FW's, Fuck F- FW. Uh, <laughs> you can you can see the mastery of FW's work in this. Uh, we are watching the Blu-ray of it here. Uh, Isaac and I did, but you can even though it's the Blu-ray, you can tell that it was crisper and more clear than every other like movie released at the time. Yeah. 
one thing when we were watching it, we were we were sitting there watching it, and the first thing that like I think you said, and then I agreed. Uh, we were just like, this looks more like a period piece. This looks like something that was shot today to look like something from the yeah. 20s, not just mm. something that was shot in the 20s. You know what I mean? Like, you can see the seams on the garments and shit like that. It's so good, you know? It's it's beyond me how he they got it He made sure that he had, good. like, all the best equipment. He, he, yeah. was not, he spared no expense. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it, but you can, you can tell, like, because focusing cameras like that back in the day was incredibly difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And he did this for every shot. He made like perfect, really clear shots for every single one. And it shows because if you watch other films of this period, they are not this clear. They do not look this good. No. If, if this if this film was an M&M, it'd be crispy M&M. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, there was a bunch of, they, they, obviously there was a couple of restorations on it as well because of also something to do with the lawsuit. <laughs> it needed to be restored at one point, but they, I think they made sure to keep it as real, like realistic to how it would have looked as mm -hmm. at the time. Because you, there were restorations of Metropolis, there were restorations of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, <clears throat> yeah, and they look not right with that restoration, if you get my meaning. Yeah, I was about to say right. they, they it's look a bit like the Star Wars restorations. Oh! <laughs> Not that they added so much stuff on the screen that it was dense. Every every show is so dense, but you just know that something's slightly wrong. They didn't, you know, CGI all of the sit the background city shots in oh, Metropolis. They should, they should yeah. have just made all. They should have just made Max Shrek just CGI. They should have <laughs> just made him Shrek, not Max Shrek. Just oh, made God. him an ogre. <laughs> I have uh, thought about editing that at one point. But oh I don't no! Have the skills for it. Oh God! Nosferatu just with an all Smash Mouth soundtrack. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Somebody just made it because of I this. know. <laughs> I, I hope they do. Because it'll be an amalgamation of two of my favourite things. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Shrek. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> to segue, let's talk about Max Shrek a little bit. Yeah, because uh, Max Shrek is what uh, fuels this film. True. And uh, also my soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he... Uh, he might as well have been a real vampire. Did, yeah. now, did he actually do all the method acting stuff like they describe in Shadow of the Vampire? Did, was he of. only filmed at night but and stuff like that? He was like a theater actor, so he was very... Murnau met him at the theater, so he was very used to doing this kind of... And he was always cast in the theater as, like, the ghoul or... Okay. right. Because of his appearance. Yeah. So let's face it, if you look at him, he's a very gaunt scary looking and for Nosferatu he did most of the makeup himself a bit like Lon Chaney wow. did and he didn't actually need that much they just gave him the fangs <laughs> the fingernails and the ear points he just literally shaved all his head and everything so Whoa. that they didn't have to apply much like makeup based stuff yeah. he just looked creepy yeah if your question is did he sleep in a coffin? No. Uh, but <laughs> he just kind of naturally looked really kind of creepy, though. That's, That's the thing. crazy. Yeah. I mean, kind of like Lon Chaney. I mean, Lon Chaney did more extensive work yeah. on his makeup than than uh, Max Shrek did, because Lon Chaney did, like, he would, like, put gum and stuff, like, to keep his nose up and, like, make him look more skeletal-like. No, who is, who is Lon Chaney? Like, um, Lon, Ch 
Lon Chaney Senior, Lon Chaney Junior did none of that because he was a lazy shit. <laughs> yeah. No, Lon Chaney Senior was uh, most famous for uh, portraying uh, the Phantom in Phantom of the Opera. Really? Yes. yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, and that's a very... I, I feel like that's a similar like story and, and look... Definitely. Yeah, it's kind of a similar story. Well, yeah. there was a there was uh, another sort of attempt at a Dracula thing with Lon Chaney called London After Midnight, which came out, which would have come out right after Nosferatu that Todd Browning did that got lost. It was like nineteen twenty four. It got lost. Yeah, it got completely lost to, to the annals of yeah. time, no. and it involved Lon Chaney as a vampire in London. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of films from this period, this really early period of cinema, where films were just lost. Because That's insane. Most of Murnau's are lost. Yeah, most of... Really? Uh, yeah, most of Murnau's films are actually lost films. That's uh, so sad. He made 21 films, and only 12 survive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, because they didn't, they didn't understand, I guess, how to keep film as yeah. well. well uh, they didn't really have, like, a good archival system for <laughs> film back then. Yeah, it's not like yeah. literature. Once they invented the printing press, that shit, you can just pump it out, yeah. and it's, like, around forever. But with film and stuff, you know, negatives have to be handled right. safely. Right. And we were talking about that, too. Can you imagine living in the 20s and having to handle this really delicate stuff and not knowing why? You yeah. know what I mean? As someone who works with negatives even now, like, just negative for, like, film cameras uh-huh. even now you have to be super delicate. oh yeah one scratch and it's ruined like yeah. one piece of yeah. dust and it's ruined yeah think about back when this was first invented yeah like like when like films were still brand spanking new and like trying to understand and comprehend the importance mm-hmm. of keeping a negative uh like pristine like, I, it's not mm. surprising that there's a lot of films that were lost. Yeah, you're dealing with horses most of the time. You're dealing with, you know, gas lanterns. You're dealing with, you know, gas. And you're dealing with just early electricity and wax cylinders. Right. And then you sit in here and it's like, okay, this is light sensitive. You're like, what the fuck do you mean light sensitive? I can't take this outside? <laughs> <laughs> I can't hold it up to the sun to look better at the pictures yeah. <laughs> that aren't moving because it's not on a real... <laughs> Also, Shrek did a ton of films, but most of the time he wasn't the main character. He was just a secondary or like a background extra. But he was in some. He was in a lot of films back in the day, which I think is interesting because a lot of I feel like, and I feel like I've heard this before that a lot of theater actors at the time did not want to do films because they thought that it wasn't worth their time. The hidden's beneath them. The, yeah. the, the, the actress in uh, Shadow of the Vampire says the same thing. When when uh, mm. After she undergoes that direction and then the scene stops, she's really pissed off. She's like, I could be doing so many other things on stage right now. I'm taking time mm. out of my career to do this for you. Right. It was it was like, you know, a side project. It wasn't important right. to them. That's why actors like Lugosi were so uh, against doing it at first. Right. Well, because, I mean, a large part of it uh, is they didn't have an audience to mm, react to. True. They, because they're just doing it to a camera. Uh, and, you know, old old ideals persisted back in the time they thought that cameras stole their soul. Yeah, no, that was that's a big part of it, too. Yeah. yeah. Does Shrek have a soul? If we go on the fact that the rumor was that Shrek was an actual vampire... <laughs> 
Like, that's a ridiculous rumor. Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. But think about it, if you were a member of the crew at the time, and you're surrounded like by these spooky sets the whole time, and you're surrounded by the idea of a vampire, which might be a new idea to you. You might not have read all this. It's right. not really in the popular zeitgeist yet. So I could see easily how in a workplace that rumor could get started and you'd be legitimately creeped out by it. You know what I mean? I think it was less the cast and crew, like the crew. I think it was more just the audiences. Really? Who didn't oh, understand. Oh, okay. Well, they didn't understand it was a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that same thing of, in that same sort of thing of people fainted at the exorcist or people threw up. Like they literally like in the, like the same as when that sort of short film about the train pulling in. Mm-hmm. That so it was like credited as one of the first films. People ran from seeing Nosferatu. <laughs> it was, it was in that same sense of like, oh, you've got to see it because it's so scary. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I could it see was, at the time it would be fucking. Oh, it'd be terrifying. It's scarier. Like we talked about a thing from another world, and like I said, yeah. like I said, my dad said he he was freaked out by that. I wasn't. There were some legitimately terrifying moments in Nosferatu that hold up today, you know? And oh, so gotcha. back then, it would have just made your skin crawl directly off of your bones <laughs> and into the nearest sewer. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But it, and I think a large part of it is uh, music. So silent films at the time, as most of you probably know, the soundtrack was performed live. Uh, this could have been in uh, as an orchestra. It could have been just a, uh, like a piano, like a lot of like the older like Charlie Chaplin stuff. It was just like a like a saloon pianist, yeah. and then or you know it could be an organist or that that sort of thing. Uh, music. There's a lot of different versions of this film with a lot of different versions of music, but the original mm-hmm. score was by Hans Erdmann. And you that, said you said that was lost a time, right? That there yeah, that was lost for a while. Right. And the original full score does not exist anymore. Right. There are pages. Mm. There's pages that exist of it, but not the whole thing. So a lot of the versions even that we hear now, even if they are using the score by Hans Erdmann, they're still improvising in those parts where there aren't pages. Mm, yeah. Uh, and that's that's an important thing to remember if you watch any version of this film. There's a there's a lot of versions of this film that exist, and I just have to say that up, up front because oh, yeah. there is you can this film is now public like domain, so you can watch this film on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, if you want to watch that version, that's fine. Is it the best version to watch? Probably not. Uh, There's Blu-ray you, uploads on on YouTube. Yeah. Do you know what score the Wikipedia, like the public access one, has on Wikipedia? Is it just like a standard like piano score or I? I can't exactly remember. I think it is. I think it's an orchestral score. Really? Uh, but I don't think it's based off of the Hans Erdmann one. Okay. Yeah. I think it's based... But we did, we did work out that the score sort of follows the same formula every time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think the key points, like the keystones of the score still exist as yeah. far as the actual pages that we still have. Okay. So it, it hits all the same points, and the music is very important to how you interpret the film i think yeah i could see that because we i've only seen one version but i could see how if it had any kind of different score i would have different feelings at any different like scene you know what i mean there's a version that exists out there that has just an organ for the score and i really like that version i've seen the organ version um 
I went to a screening of it when I was living in Liverpool, and they had an organist play. Oh, live! And it yeah. was gorgeous. Ooh, yeah, that'd be I really cool. like I really like the organ only version of the score okay. as well. I don't know if that's also based on a Hans Erdmann uh, composition, but the version that I've watched that had just organ was really good. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And I feel like that fits the film really oh, well. Oh, Oregon definitely. It, it really did. It was a really good, yeah. like, it was a really good sort of, and the person playing it as well, it was just, like, they all dressed up in black because the organ was just underneath the screen. Ooh. And that's so they nice. were all dressed yeah. in, like, a big black coat, like, that's all That's awesome. That's it great. Beautiful. I love that. Well, because then it like it perpetuates the idea that Orlock was playing the organ because Orlock does everything yeah. at his castle because mm-hmm. he has no <laughs> servants, uh-huh. uh, which is an idea that is also in Dracula as well. Uh, is that uh, Dracula has no servants? He does everything himself. He's the he's the cab driver. Mm. He's he prepares oh, the food. He I does all that saying. stuff. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. For the longest time. I didn't realize that it was Max Rec playing the like the cab driver. I was just thought, huh, that guy looks spooky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but then it clicked. <laughs> yeah, I can be I can be dense. <laughs> I I felt like I noticed that, but I didn't think it was supposed to be. It, it, and it's not. It's not supposed to be another character. Not, yeah, mm. it's not supposed to be another character, but it's kind of supposed to be slightly disguising the fact that it's also that it's Cameron also Locke. him. Yeah. yeah, but that. But like we said, that's that's part of that's part of the story of Dracula is that he doesn't have servants. And does he disguise himself? And Dracula also he yes. makes it like I'm yes. a different person yes. now. I'm not Dracula. And then he comes out like, Hey guys, I'm Dracula. Yeah, there's <laughs> a really <laughs> laugh though because I just have to think about the diff, the, like, the timing between. Hutter getting to the castle and Orlock coming through the gateway. How he probably had, had to like run. Had to do fucking. <laughs> had like, to do an like SNL Scooby Doo change. Yeah, like Scooby Doo run around the castle. <laughs> <laughs> like you can just imagine him sitting in that tunnel for a moment, going. Taking a breath. Yeah. <laughs> just like hands on his knees, just like fuck. Why do I keep doing this? <laughs> Oh. It's all for the blood, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for the crip. Oh, no. Don't <laughs> oh, <no>. oh, <laughs> go there. I mean, that's uh, essentially like what the whole Nosferatu versus Dracula debate is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's crips and blood, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I will pee everywhere. <laughs> I don't like the way this is going, and I want it to stop. <laughs> so let's talk about why there is a difference between the two. Let's talk about the lawsuit. We've been referencing it this whole time. Yeah. Why is there a lawsuit? Well, like we said, it was an unauthorized adaption. Florence Stoker said, no, you can't make a film version of Dracula. Do, they, do do does anyone do basically told her to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. He's like, fuck I'm gonna change a whole bunch. I'm gonna change a whole bunch of shit, and I'm gonna do it anyway. Do, do, has history recorded why exactly uh, Stoker didn't want anyone to make a film out of Dracula? Though that's a, one piece that I haven't heard. Is like, why though? Probably the same reason that I mean, it might be the same reasoning that a lot of the theater theater actors didn't want to do it. They maybe. they thought it wasn't worth the time. Okay. Uh, they also, thought maybe... if you think if you think about it, the only sort of horror adaptations that were really around were the eighteen ten version of that Edison did of Frankenstein and the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, as well as that Dante 
that Dante's film yeah, that right. came out it, just before. Horror wasn't a thing. I don't think she thought right. that it would bring them any money. Yeah, film wasn't a thing. Horror wasn't a thing. The medium was so young, no one thought it was going to last. Everyone thought it was like a fad, right? It, it might yeah. have been that. I also think maybe if if there was an adaption of it out there floating around, that it might actually, if it was a bad adaption, it could soil the memory Ooh, of Dracula. That's or it true. Could make I it, it could that. not further the story itself. It mm-hmm. would just be a blight. Yeah, uh, it could be it could be any number of things, but there that's some theories that okay. we probably have about it. Yeah. So they still made it. They changed a lot of things about it, and Florence Stoker was like, "No, why'd you do that? I'm <laughs> going to bring a lawsuit on you now." And but she did. They were smart enough to go bankrupt right as they finished the film, so that <laughs> yeah. they couldn't actually get anything. Stoker couldn't get anything technically. Yeah. Oh my god. But yeah, she... The courts and her ordered that all of the copies be destroyed. Yes. But some were mysteriously hidden <laughs> and survived. Yes. And I mean, I, I I'm sure that no one knows whether it was Murnau or the, the crew or who like actually. Somebody, the somebody, somebody like to say the Matt just hid them under his big coat. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the prevailing theory on this podcast is that Max Shrek hel- <laughs> hid them hid, under his big coat. <laughs> hid, hid reels under his big coat, and that's why Nosferatu's persists today. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> but because uh, some reels were saved, uh, there was a release of it in America. And that's when it kind of picked up steam. Uh, Nosferatu was released in America because the because Florence Stoker basically gave up. She's just like, well, I'm not getting anything from yeah. this whole <laughs> pursuit because they're bank- bankrupt as fuck. I'm spending more money than I'm going to make from this. Yeah. Exactly. So fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she even recovered all of the legal fees from it. She, she probably have. just went, yeah. fuck it. Yeah, no, if, yeah. So, if, if, if there's a bankruptcy, I mean, they're going to sell all the equipment and everything, but you're still not... You have no money. Yeah. So how is the person suing you going to get anything from that, you know? Yeah, so they did that on purpose as well. Murnau knew that if he declared himself bankrupt, then she couldn't get anything. Fuck exactly. you! <laughs> Somebody stole collectors. his head. I don't know if you ever heard that story. Somebody stole Murnau's head a couple of years ago from his grave. Like, they physically Whoa. dug up his body and stole the skull. Wow. Yeah. That was a that was a segue, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, when the reels survived and they were released in it was released in the US, I mean it had uh, I mean a lot of, a lot of people in the US had the same the American audiences had the same reaction as the German audiences. They thought it was a horrifying it's too spooky. thing and it was too spooky it was, for it's, me. It's a horror masterpiece, yeah. you know. And that's I mean, we still believe that today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, I mean, there's a really... re-edit they did in the 30s uh, that Murnau hated because they really? re-edited it with like talking and sound. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. It it just was it was terrible. It, I'm so, I could see how a I director think it's at that time the twelfth hour or something. It's a it's in a similar vo- similar way to a symphony of horrors. It has sound and it sucks. Yeah, no, I can see how a director of silent films would be really irritated by talkies. After, right. The same way that, like, I feel like animators probably got really irritated once CG became the 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 primary means of like doing an animated film. That yeah. they were just like, 
fuck this, this is stupid. So like I could I could definitely see him hating anything that gave it voice. I yeah, totally. The other cast are um, really interesting. The, the other members of the cast are interesting as well. Um Greta Schroeder, as I mentioned earlier, obviously was in the Golem. Um mm-hmm. but basically she faded into obscurity and was in like cameo roles <laughs> throughout the inter- until like in the rest of her acting career cuz Nobody, I don't think people, I don't think people took her seriously. I think she just went back to doing theatre. Mm-hmm, yeah. And Gustav, who played Hutter, which is meant to be Harker, he became a director and writer. And he had to escape Nazi Germany at one point, because he was a uh, very outspoken. And, yeah, no, he ended up in like Soviet Russia and then had to came back when all that was over and then he was like a aristocracy as well. Oh wow. Huh. Shit. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't really yeah, I mean you think about the I, I don't think about actors a lot, but like, yeah, that's a really interesting story. Everyone person, sort of you know looks at looks at Max Shrek, but nobody mm-hmm. really like everyone else seemed to sort of fade away into obscurity in comparison to to good old Nossy Boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's probably, uh, I mean, yeah, it has it has a lot to do with just World War II happening right afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I think it also has to do with, like, the lawsuit and the, you know, the uh, disintegration of the studio and a lot of other things. And it's just like, there's kind of negative press around it, I guess. Because, yeah. I mean, the the production of Nosferatu was highly, like, publicized and, like, there was a lot of coverage on it. The, the actual production of the movie. Really? Yeah. Sort of in the same level that we constantly see photos from films like The Avengers and stuff, you know, all the photo leaks. Like, yeah. it was, like, mega news that this oh, this a, film that the family didn't want made was being made. Yeah, and that would make sense, because, I mean, if Dracula... Dracula, I assume, had become a popular story. At that point, yeah. By that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. so that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, because Nosferatu was n- by no means like the first vampire film. I right. mean, uh, that credit goes to the vampire uh, yeah. from 1913. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there was, vampires were back in vogue because people realized, oh, Dracula's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also Dracula had that romantic element with the women. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. yeah. See, that's always one of my biggest takeaways with the, from the Dracula story. This Nosferatu doesn't really have it. It's focused more on straight horror, and that's what I I, I like it. I like mm. it a lot. Nosferatu, like everyone, everyone was a bit shocked because obviously everyone had imagined Dracula to be because you know he was written that he was charming and He's and then there's Van Orlock literally mm-hmm. looking like something that crawled out of a swamp. Yeah. <laughs> no, not to be mean to not to be mean to my Nosferatu because I think he's really cute, but he's not got the dashing Christopher Lee Bela Lugosi face. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. he's yeah, he's not a he ain't he ain't he ain't a he ain't a stunner. Yeah, <laughs> he ain't a stunner at all. Uh, uh, but yeah, I was about to say depends on what you're into. Come on, yeah, now. I yeah. mean. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you like real long fingernails and bald heads. Now that you mentioned it, I wanted to... Well, this is at least in Shadow of the Vampire, but fucking Willem Dafoe's nails are on point. Yeah. I was looking at that, I'm like, ooh. Uh, yeah, well, okay, so we'll, we'll get to Shadow of the Vampire in just a second. We do want to just touch a little bit on that there was a remake of Nosferatu by Werner Herzog. In 79. Uh, 
1979, there was a, a remake of uh, Nosferatu. I don't like Werner Herzog. I like Werner Herzog. I don't like Klaus Kinski. <laughs> I, I find Werner Herzog to be kind of a problematic person as well. Oh, I mean, yeah, he's no. talked openly... He's not openly about, like, killing his collaborators yeah. and stuff like that. He's just, like, he's kind of a dickbag, Yeah, I, in my I opinion. like his um, documentary stuff. I don't like his feature films. Yeah, He did yeah, a brilliant documentary I mean, that I watched about Death Row, but otherwise, he's not that good a filmmaker in terms of... Yeah, I don't... I, I don't think he should be put on the pedestal that everybody puts him on. Yeah, I just personally. like his voice. I don't. I don't really know any. I, I know like a little bit of the backstory that y'all have told me, and I know some of the films. Never watched any of them. I like his voice. He has a good voice. That, that's all I can voice. say about him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we don't really want to talk about this version that they much did because change oh, Orlok to Dracula though in that version. Really? That's, that's true. Yeah. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we we just don't want to talk about it too much because of Klaus Klinski because Klaus Klinski is a absolutely horrible person. You said he was like a pedophile or something, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, we just, we don't want to really get into that, but we do want you to know that it does exist and it is it out there. It has a brilliant score, though. I hate that it has a brilliant score. <laughs> yeah, it is very, very good. Could you take the score from the remake and put it over the other one? Since no. Since like, that one has just like really interchangeable no. scores anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's not a shot-for-shot shot remake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that does bring us to Shadow of the Vampire, which uh, is a reimagining of the making of Nosferatu. It's like, what if Max Shrek was actually a vampire? Yeah, it's sort of, it <laughs> takes that sort of idea of, what if? <laughs> yeah. Shadow of the Vampire is an odd duck of a film. It's, I will say that. It's, it's interesting. It is fun. It's, it's so much fun. It's really good. It's really good and really fun. And it Okay, so Shadow of the Vampire, the synopsis is that it's like, the, the behind-the-scenes of filming Nosferatu and Max Shrek is actually a vampire and, like, all of the things that happen because he actually is a vampire and F.W. Renau, who's played by uh, John Malkovich... Mm, yeah. <laughs> is good old Mal yeah, good old Malkovich. Yeah, uh, ...is basically, like, not telling the crew that he's actually a vampire even though he knows. Mm. And the yeah, he's like, oh, he's a method actor. Right, exactly. He's, like, a really deep method actor. Uh. Uh, but the vampire, Max Shrek slash Nosferatu, is played by Willem Dafoe. And so it, you already know it's going to be yeah. brilliant. It was so good. Now, see, y'all say that, and I'm not disputing that Willem Dafoe is great in this, because he is. He's amazing. Malkovich was my favorite, though. Malkovich, <laughs> he has such intensity I, sometimes, as you know? As much as I love William Dafoe, Eddie Izzard's, like, one of my favorite characters. Oh, yeah, he plays yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's playing Gustav. He is so and good. I, I love Eddie Izzard playing that character. He almost is just Eddie Izzard as if Eddie Izzard was in the 20s. He's just kind of being yeah, he, himself. He's playing that, like, 20s mild aristocracy mm -hmm. who's doing film because it's new yeah like he's playing that character so he's playing the overacting of the character so well he's right. so good yeah i, I, so I do good. yeah eddie izzard is really good at it also uh, udo kier as alban Grau's really good as well like the yeah. whole casting yeah the, the cast the, is great the only one i don't like is carrie ellis uh who plays uh, uh fritz the uh, photographer like the the 
cinematographer the first guy that dies the, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, the new guy that they have come in oh him oh uh, from Princess mm. Bride the, yeah, yeah, the guy from Princess Bride. Yes, that guy. Yeah, uh, who's also in Twister. He's a bad guy in Twister. Oh, that's right, he is. <laughs> I kind of like Fritz, though. No, I I like the character. I just think Cariolas kind of phoned it in a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, agree. I can I can see that. His German accent is atrocious. <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. It's really bad. I watched it on subtitles, very low volume. No I one didn't else even tried. Hear. No one else really tried a German accent. But I mean, I would say that I John Malkovich had a German accent. Willem Dafoe had the best German accent in my opinion oh Willem Dafoe Willem Dafoe was just fucking yeah yeah, I was about to say anything that he does he's gonna do really well it's just so so good yeah Uh, I I don't know it's a really interesting film I think everybody should watch it of course there were a lot of historical inaccuracies in it oh god the so many like everybody dies at the end uh, (laughs) even though they didn't actually (laughs) die at the end um the, the paragraph I read when I was doing a little bit of research on Shadow of the Vampire was and that I really liked and took away was that this is a film for cinephiles. Yeah. Like, if you like mm. movies, and if you like the history of movies, and if you like weird, like, fan fictions, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is what you want to watch. It's, it's an <laughs> well, early they fan also, <laughs> Something really interesting about it was the cameras they used for doing those filmings, they were the cameras, and they used proper, or like, the actual old school techniques. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't like know the, that. Like, the iris lenses and stuff. Wow. Just because... It would be, it would be accurate to counteract all their fucking inaccuracies. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, see, and, the, and the normal viewer wouldn't give a shit about that, but they did. So I know they, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so they made this film for people who love film. Exactly, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> uh, well, they made it for people who love Nosferatu as well. Yeah, exactly. Like if they know Nosferatu really well, and they know all the stuff that mm. happened behind the scenes and all that sort of stuff, and they know like. Because FW, good old FW, was not that domineering. He was not like he was. Apparently, he was very like he was a very sensitive director. Mm-hmm. He he was very. He sensitive. was a little bit hard to work with though on Nosferatu, because it was very stressful. And he wanted it to look a certain way. Like he had a vision right. for but, it. But no, he was quite a you know he was quite a gentleman. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. He's not like he's portrayed in that movie. But I think it's funnier that he is no, portrayed like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love yeah. I love how he's portrayed. It's so, it's so ridiculous. Before we get off a of shadow of the vampire, can we just talk about the bird scene? Can we, can we, can we do <laughs> oh, I love the bird scene. There's a scene where uh, where. Nosferatu, uh, Willem Dafoe's character, snatches a bird out of the air and then just drinks its Fucking blood. Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. that shit. Like, right in front of two guys that are just sitting there smoking, they're like... They, they don't even question it, because they've yeah. been told, oh, he's... You know, he's... Every time you see him, you must address him as Nosferatu, yeah. as as, Ma- as as Count Orlok, you know. So they don't even question it. Yeah. They just think, oh, he's doing vampire things. What would you do if you're on break at work and some guy gets says, hey, what's up, guys? Snatches a bird. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling better now. How about y'all? I'd get up and be like, oh, fuck no. I'm out of here. I'll see y'all tomorrow, I guess. (laughs) Fuck it. I I compared it kind of to that scene. I don't know why this is the scene that it reminded me of, but that scene in Batman Returns where, uh, Penguin like eats the raw fish. Oh like, it's yeah, just, like, it's proper. It probably inspired that because <laughs> yeah. they chose well. Because Tim Burton was very inspired by that film, like for in Batman Returns by Nosferatu. Really? Because like the directly uh, Christopher Walken's character is called Max Shrek. 
You're right, after, I did. After Max Oh Rock. my god, oh, wow. I didn't I even connect that. Yeah, jeez. Wow. 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 I mean, and the look for Nosferatu inspired the look for Kurt Barlow in, in Salem's Lot. Oh, God. They decided not to go with the Dracula type, and they went for the uh, a Nosferatu type. Right. Vampire. You're blowing my mind right now, Chrissy. Yeah. <laughs> You're blowing my mind. <laughs> so the, the legacy of Nosferatu is, is huge yeah. in that sense. It is. Because it... it inspired a whole a whole mythos in itself that like mm-hmm. Nosferatu is like a... If you think of vampires in like tears or like yeah. families, like the Nosferatu type is like a being higher yeah. than like Dracula. Even in were. even in like uh, what we do in the shadows, I know that's a comedy and it's played and it, yeah. it's all for Peter. laughs. But yeah, Peter is the best character in that movie, and he's a Nosferatu. And it's like yeah, he's he's lived for like thousands of years. Yeah, he's the reason I'm a vampire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's so he's he has his own mythos in there. Yeah, it Nosferatu specifically has had like its own story now mm. created around it because yeah, uh, because El Toro uses it for the strain, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like other than his vampires being a bit like the ones from Blade, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but you know he uses like the whole idea of ancients, mm-hmm. which is like a Nosferatu. Yep. in the strain. Which, yeah. if you haven't seen, you have to. <laughs> I, I haven't. And I will, maybe. Uh, well, we should cover Assuredly. It. Definitely, we've got to cover it when we do, vamp- when we do vampire season. Oh, yeah. Can we have vampire week instead of shark week? But also do <laughs> shark week? Because I want to talk about Jaws. <laughs> but, you know, it's... um Like, the whole like legacy of Nosferatu is brilliant. Mm-hmm. The whole Like, the whole mythos around it. It's inspired definitely many people I know, like in real life. Definitely, Blitzkid like Blitzkid's logo was directly just Nosferatu's face. (laughs) Oh, and Blitzkid is a horror punk band, by the way. For people who don't know, an old horror punk band who unfortunately did break up. Um, They have a song about Nosferatu on their album. Yeah, the original version's on Let Flowers Die. Which is like one of their first albums. And then Argo Goolsby, who was the power one of the powerhouses behind Blitzkid, in his current solo project, did a song about Shadow of the Vampire. Yes. <laughs> so good. I mean, so it's it's like there is this it, it, it was started because they were trying to avoid a lawsuit and now it has its own it has its own story to it separate from Dracula. I mean, they're all they're both vampire stories and they both have their own legacy and their own influences and all that sort of thing, but they're now, like, kind of, they're skewed uh, beside each other. They've gone off different paths. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's interesting watching Nosferatu for the first time and learning about Dracula really in depth for the first time. It's really interesting to see how much of modern vampire mythos and lore comes from these two sources. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so much of it. Even though there are other sources, and you can refer to those, and they're perfectly valid and cool, and they have interesting, like, pieces, so much of what everyone knows, essentially, as a vampire, comes from either Nosferatu or Dracula. I mean, with and Nosferatu all as well. from Dracula. <laughs> you had that reference in Spongebob. Yeah. Oh, There's God, we're getting into Spongebob here. In Spongebob, for, like, for God's sake. Yeah. With... with with him and the light. Which, yeah. which as a kid, I did not understand. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was directly for, like, adults watching yeah. Spongebob yeah. with their kids. So much even, Spongebob is like Even that. the adults were probably like, what? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. But everyone's seen everyone 
in, you know, even my mum that doesn't like horror, she has seen that shot of him on the stairs, the mm. shadow. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like, yep. everyone's seen that shot. Everyone's seen the boat shot where he's standing yeah. up on... Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a classic. Yep. And everyone... So many people have seen the window shot of him when he's bought the house, you know. Yeah. So yeah. good. Which yeah. I really want a tattoo of that window shot. Ooh, that'd yeah. be like, good. Him just in the window. I want that tattoo. That'd so be much. good. Yeah. I mean, Blitzkid even like parodied that on their live album. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's it's there's so many iconic shots in that film. Just so many, so many important and iconic shots that we now know as like the classic vampire like mm. footage. And definitely, <laughs> yeah. The, this had to have been the template for horror movies that followed after. You know what I mean? This had, pr- it had yeah. to be. The, I mean, one of the... seeing as Universal didn't start making any horror movies till after it. Yeah, exactly. So this was just like the genesis of yeah. horror. You know, at it's... least American film, or I guess, but not just American film horror, but everyone's film horror. You know, because this was a German film, but then America really, I think, took it up and ran with it, just like every, probably everyone did, really. Yeah. So, I mean, we're. We, Definitely, when you watch it, you're really getting a getting a like a really good microscopic view of how horror in cinema came to be. It's you know? why it's considered like the first horror. It's mm. not the first horror, it's as not, we know. But yeah, but it's why it's considered by a lot of people as on the first like horror horror movies. It, it's what popularized it. It's what yeah, made other it definitely people popularized say, horror. I want to do that, you know. Yeah. Because yeah, it no. was because of the lawsuit, it was so talked about. It was mm-hmm. so sought after. The lawsuit did it. No publicity is bad publicity in that yep. sense. For this. Yeah, absolutely, for sure, that is always the case. Uh, so, what of our what are some of our uh, favorite moments? Uh, I'll tell you right off the bat because mine is very surface level and silly. My favorite moment of this fucking film is when he gets up, wakes up, looks at that book, and he starts reading about vampires that he's had ever since the bartender gave it to him. He's like, man, vampires are bad things. And he's just like, eh, you know what? Fuck that shit. I'm going to go to this castle and get paid. <laughs> oh, throws it on the ground. Yeah, yeah. he's just like, never mind. The, the throw he does is ridiculous. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. We, we should also say what our favorite shot of um, or moment of Shadow of the Vampire was as well, I think, because of the, how closely they tie together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, de- definitely the bird. Oh, the bird scene. scene. <laughs> now, now, bird scene hands down is mine. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not gonna. I, I can't go I'm beyond gonna, that. I'm not scene. gonna change my mind either. On that. <laughs> I, I think my favorite shot of Show the Vampire is when you first, when he first has like the um, scene with Max Shrek in the cave. Like when when he's meeting oh, him and he's like, "Stop so eating." He's like, "Don't eat my people." He like goes <laughs> off at him for like yeah. killing one of the. <laughs> He goes off at him for killing one of the crew members, and he's like, and Max Shrek is just like, huh, huh. Yeah. just Defoe's sitting there like, nah. But my favorite shot of Nosferatu is definitely that that window shot. I want, I want it on my skin. <laughs> I'll add something to my Shadow of the Vampire favorite scene because you just mentioned that and that jogged my memory. You know that the scene that they do at night when they're going into the doorway oh. and the actor that plays the main character, his face is so. He emotes so well. And he's, I know he's doing it. He's genuinely act- scared. Yeah, he's acting like the old actor from the old film, but mm. he's also an Eddie Izzard in a current film. But he's emoting in just like the most genuine way, and it's just such a beautiful shot. So props to Shadow of the Vampire for that one scene. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's 
It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's your favorite moment of uh, Nosferatu there, Zach? Oh, God, that's... Oh, yes. You talked that you had a couple. Uh, yeah, I have yeah. a couple, but what <laughs> the most... The probably the <laughs> most important one that I had was... Uh, where he comes into Hutter's room when he's still at the castle and the door just opens by itself and he yeah. slides in. Oh, I love he that. He slides in. It's the best shot. It's so fucking good. <laughs> it actually kind of terrified me a little bit because yeah. I was just like, if that was me, I would have run out screaming, shitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> one, of my, one of my other favorite shots is when he sees him. Well, he's It's during the day, so Nosferatu's asleep and he's like, he goes in and he sees him through the crack in the coffin. And yeah. then he rips the coffin lid off. And then just those frottoos like they're like, oh, I'm asleep. And, <laughs> yeah. and Hotter is standing there like, well, time to go. <laughs> like, it's at that I'm point he's deciding he's going to go. Any closing thoughts that we have on it? <laughs> watch it. Just, just, yeah, just watch, watch it and it. appreciate the brilliance. I think that's what we say for every film. Yeah. <laughs> Just watch it. Well, I mean, we wouldn't... Yeah, we I wouldn't mean, we be are covering gold. them otherwise. I was about to say that, but I know we're going to cover some stinkers, and I'm going to relish it, <laughs> because I love bad movies. But this ain't one of them. No. This is a good one. This is one of the best horror... If you have a day to yourself and you just want to watch a good horror film, don't let the fact that it's a silent film put you off. Don't let the fact that it's, like, from the 20s put you off. Legitimately terrifying. Great makeup, great effects, great like score. Yeah. Like, there's not much you can say that's bad about it. If you, know? you can it's, see it at a cinema live, especially if it has like a live orchestra or a live person playing a score, definitely go see it. Yeah, see and that, that's the case with any of those silent films, or especially any of the big silent films like Metropolis mm. and The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Watch it live. If you can, yeah. that's always the best way to, to see it because that'll have the best impact. It'll be like you actually saw I about, it. I was about to say it back it, in the day. It would take put you someone right there. In the shoes. Take someone to see it on a date. Go on. <laughs> I'm not going to guarantee that they'll give you anything. <laughs> <laughs> but take someone on a date to see Nosferatu. Okay, yeah. straight out of Chrissy's mouth. You take someone on a date to see Nosferatu, you get a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fact. It's canon now. <laughs> there are no guarantees on the show. Just a legal disclaimer. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no guarantees. I just I have to say that for legal reasons. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thanks for listening, everybody. I think that's all we got for this week. Yes. Uh, we love you all. Um, uh, be sure to check out our social media. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Oh, definitely. Ch- we, we, got, we got more social media yeah. technically now. So, so we have a Facebook page still. You just search uh, Podcast of the Dead on Facebook. We have Twitter. It's at PC of the Dead. Uh, we have a Gmail. Uh, it's Podcast of the Dead at Gmail. Uh, and now we have a Patreon. Uh, yes. So please give us money. <laughs> uh, if you want us to start making better content, or you want us to start making exclusive content, or you just want us to uh, be better off in our lives, uh, then you can contribute to our Patreon. Our Patreon is uh, Patreon.com/slash PC of the Dead. We've we've already been kicking around the idea of one of our tiers being that we will mail you some Tostino's pizza rolls. <laughs> I know. A la red letter media. Yeah, we will give you some pizza rolls if you want. We, we didn't come up with that idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
but we think it's a good idea. Yeah, uh, no, it's a great idea. I'll send hot pockets. I'll send any kind of frozen foods that y'all want. If they'll you, be spoiled by the time they get there, but I, I am committed to it. If you give us enough money per month, you can choose the type of porn I watch. <laughs> <laughs> If you give me enough money, I'll stream me making a foot. If you give us enough money, I'll stream me making the graphic that I make of my cat. I'll even <laughs> live stream my cat to you. Oh. You, you can have a day with Loki. I'll, I'll give probably is... He probably will be really angry with me. I was about to say, I'll. Not want to do anything or hide outside all day, but. You can have a day with Loki. Yeah, I would actually give you money just to just to have a stream of your cat, just like playing on my TV all the time. <laughs> He's asleep right now. That's fine. He, he it's, is like, it's like the Truman Show, but it's the Loki show. It's just the camera's following around twenty four seven. If you give us enough money, I'll have my other cat in the room, and you can hear her. <laughs> And we'll have no fo- we'll have no usable footage, but you could listen. That would be like a thousand. That would be a thousand dollar tier. Uh, yeah. My cat just ruining the footage. Yes, great stuff. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, all we have for this week. We love you. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, bye, lads.